All right. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. I'm a little um, out of my norm. If you know me, I like preaching small passages of Scripture. I love taking one verse and just completely dissecting it. This morning, we're going to be looking at 39 verses. I hope you don't have any lunch plans. I'm just kidding. But no, I'm not kidding, though, about 39 verses. We're going to be looking at the rest of Acts 13. From Acts 13, verse 13 through 52, through the very end. All right. Y'all ready? I'm not. All right. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. And just to make me feel better, if you're there, say word. word. Fantastic. Acts 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Say that ten times fast. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. 
Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded in Paris, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. They spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Whew. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning as we look at this large chunk of Scripture. Help us to see the truth of what you have for us. Help us to apply this truth to our lives. Convict us where there needs to be conviction. Help us to see you and your promises and your glory. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my sermon this morning is The Promise of God for the Joy of All Peoples. The Promise of God for the Joy of All Peoples. People is plural because I don't mean the promise of God for the joy of every individual person. I mean the promise of God for the joy of all nations. All people groups. Because what we're going to see here shortly is that this promise of God for our joy is not given to every person, sadly. Because those who reject the promise of God will not have joy. We need to understand that. We've been talking lately about how we live in a world of, 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 of pluralism. A world where, we, where, where, where uh, our, our culture teaches us that all religions lead to the same place. That all roads lead to heaven. That, 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 that it doesn't matter what you believe in, you're okay. Even if you claim to believe in nothing. But the problem we have is, is even looking at this scripture. 
The promise of God for the joy of all peoples are only for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those who actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Those are the only people that will receive that joy. I love looking at speeches across the world, across history. We've had some fantastic speeches that we can look at. You know, we think of maybe Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, I Have a Dream. Or we might look at Abraham Lincoln's speech, Four Score and you know the rest. <laughs> I don't know the rest. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Those speeches, we, we, there, there are so many that, that, that have come our way that, that, that have shaped culture, that have influenced people, that have sparked something in a body to do something. Here, and this is where it gets challenging when we preach scripture, because I am preaching a sermon about a sermon. This is Paul's first sermon that Luke records here. And it's a long sermon. And it's a good sermon. Preachers today can learn a lot, not just from Paul's teaching, but from how Paul preaches. This is redemptive history that Paul's using. He's, he's going all the way back to Abraham. And he's showing the promise of God in Christ. But yet, we have preachers today who think we need to throw out the Old Testament. Need to unhitch from it. Google it. Main idea that I have for you this morning is this true joy is found in receiving Christ as Lord. True joy is found in receiving Christ as Lord. Simple main idea. And if you're sitting here thinking, man, that's all we talk about is receiving Jesus as Lord or true joy about Christ, and I'm tired of hearing about Jesus, then you really need to listen to this message. Because this is the gospel. And this is what we should preach every Sunday. Um, I remember uh, we've had Colby and uh, Wesley and Trey kind of ask, like, what song should we sing this coming Sunday? What do you think? Honestly, if we sing anything that lifts Christ high, preaches or sings about the atonement or sings about the glory of God, we're going to be good. Because that's what our sermon should be about every week. And this is what Paul's sermon is about. True joy is found in receiving Christ as Lord. So I've got three things for you this morning that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the promise of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and the provision of Jesus. I want you to go ahead and write them down because I want you to focus. The promise of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and the provision of Jesus. That's what Paul is preaching here. He's, he, him and Barnabas are at a synagogue... And they've been given an opportunity to speak. Uh-oh, you did it. <laughs> they sent them a letter or, 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 or a message somehow, whether by person, but they let them know, hey, if y'all have something to say to encourage us, Jews in this synagogue who don't believe in Jesus, then say it. I love those opportunities. Sometimes I don't do it as often because uh, now I'm getting too distracted. I guess it's my age. I don't know. But I used to sit at the coffee shop 
a lot with my Bible open and I'll do sermon prep there. Now I need quiet. But at the coffee shop, I'll have my Bible open. People will come up and be like, what are you reading? Sit down. Let's talk. Let me share the gospel with you. Let's talk about Jesus. Like you've, you've opened up the door. You put the quarter in the jukebox. Now you got to listen to it. That's what they did here with Paul. Men of Israel, or he, uh, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So verse 16, what happens? Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. He's talking to the Jews, men of Israel. And then he's talking to you who fear God. There are these, there's this God-fearing sect of Gentiles that will go to the synagogue. They're not allowed to sit in the same area as Jews are, but they are allowed to be there and to be a part of the worship. So Paul is bringing this message. And it's a good message. First, he shows them the promise of Jesus. He shows them the promise of Jesus. Verse 17, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Well, that's not really talking about Jesus. Well, let's look at verse 18. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Okay, well, God tolerated the Israelites. That's not really talking about Jesus. Well, verse 19, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. Well, this is just history. Where's Jesus at? Verse 20, all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Paul is taking them through history. This is Jewish history. They, they are familiar with this. This is probably why he's going so quick through it. But then again, Luke could have recorded a paraphrase of this message. Paul could have preached for hours. Who knows? But Paul is bringing them through history. God chose your fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Chose your fathers. Through Joseph, Joseph you were led into Egypt. God took care of you in Egypt. And then with uplifted arm, he led you out of Egypt. And as you complained in the wilderness for 40 years, complained, ready to go back into slavery, God tolerated you, took care of you, fed you, ungrateful people. And then after that, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, God gave you a land to where you could become a nation. And all that took 450 years. And after that, God gave you judges. Then Samuel the prophet. Then he gave you kings because you asked for it. Kings were going to tax you. Kings were going to be horrible people at times. They were going to be bad. Read the Old Testament. They did some bad stuff. And then David, who still did some bad stuff, became king. A man after my heart. Paul is showing them, God has done all this for you. 
Look at redemptive history. God's brought you this far. And then, verse 23, talking about David, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. We see the promise of Jesus. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. I am not worthy to stoop as low as a servant to untie the sandals off his feet. Paul is showing them that Christ, our Savior, has Come and it's through Jewish history. This has been the promise of God all along, ever since the beginning. Before the foundations of the world, Christ was promised. True joy is found in receiving Christ as Lord. See, Paul's just getting started here. He's having to show the people, he's having to relate to them. And show them how Christ has come. See the promise of Jesus. Church, we have to understand that Jesus was not plan B. Jesus never was plan B. Jesus to be exalted at the right hand of the Father was always plan A. To come and die for our sins and to be risen again three days later was always plan A. The glory of God was always plan A. It wasn't like God created Adam and Eve and the rest of all creation and Adam and Eve messed it up and God's like, oh, snap. What am I supposed to do now? You know, son, you need to go down and fix it. That's not how that works. Jesus is the promise of God for the joy of all peoples. Jesus has come and has been our Savior. So one, we see the promise of Jesus in this sermon. I don't want to get on a soapbox, but y'all know I have a passion for preaching. I love preaching. I love to read about preaching. I love to read about preachers. And it drives me crazy, the type of preaching that are in pulpits today. It's not even a word-centered preaching. It's a man-centered preaching. It's the kind of preaching where they will preach a, a topic, and then they'll use Scripture as illustration. But they're not going to use Scripture as the main emphasis. They don't, they don't use a promise of Jesus in their sermons. Instead, it's about how you can be better. How you can be wealthier. How you can be healthier. But we have to know, church, that our entire existence, our, our entire life, our entire mission is based and focused on the promise of Christ who has come to be our Savior and will one day return. Which is why we have a message to preach. This is why Paul's preaching it. And if, 
if pluralism is true, I know I keep mentioning that word pluralism, the idea that there's multiple religions that point to the same Christ or to the same road to heaven, if we can be Buddhist and Hindu and, 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 and Jewish and Christian or whatever you want to mention, and we all end up in heaven, then what Paul is preaching is not true. Let's get to it. Number one, we see the promise of Jesus. Number two, we see the person of Jesus. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. So Jesus has has come into their existence and he's been raised in this world and and he walks into the temple and he is reading from the scripture and he tells them today this has been fulfilled in your presence. The way that he lives his life, the way that he was condemned to be crucified, it was all fulfilled in scripture, the scripture that they read in the synagogue. They completely ignored it. They didn't see it. They didn't see the person of Christ as God in the flesh, as who he said he is. Church, we live in a a culture today where people, they they will teach anything and everything. But don't talk about Jesus. They'll teach my kids in public school about these mythical beings. And I'm trying not to go too blatant about what I'm talking about. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Around wintertime, sneaks into your house. You know what I'm saying? They'll teach that to my kids at public school, but don't ever mention Jesus. The person of Jesus, because he is who he says he is. And that's why people see him as a threat. Because he is who he said he is. C.S. Lewis tells us that that, that, that because of Jesus' teachings, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He couldn't be a liar because why why in the world would he take himself to the point of death? To believe a lie. To hold up a lie. So if he's not a liar, then he has to be a lunatic. Because he's willing to die for who he said he is. But he wasn't crazy. He did miraculous things. And the greatest of them all was being risen again three days later. So he's Lord. Paul is showing them the person of Christ. Verse 28, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. The innocent, sinless, spotless son of God hung on that cross. They even found in him no guilt worthy of death. They just didn't like what he was teaching. They hated him. 
They wanted him dead. The person of Jesus, the sinless, spotless, innocent son of God, died for the bride. Died for the church. Died so that people may come to know the truth of the gospel. Died so that people may be saved, changed, and transformed. Jesus is who he says he is. Live in a world today where culture tries to tell you, no, he's not. He's not who he said he is. He's not real. Did he really rise from the dead? No. How dare you teach that? Church, we are deemed crazy for believing something like this by the culture. And they're going to hate you for it. They are going to hate you for what you believe in. Friends and family are going to hate you for what you believe in. People are not going to want to be around you because of what you believe in. They don't want to hang out with you because of what you believe in. And one day, one day, may or may not happen in our lifetime, friends and family may even turn you over to be imprisoned, to be put to death, to be persecuted because of what you believe in. Because we believe Jesus is who he says he is, we should expect the same for us. The way that they treated Christ, we should expect the same for us. And we shouldn't be surprised nonetheless. If America ever becomes a nation that is free from religion, don't be surprised. If the church ever gets shut down, don't be surprised. If you are arrested for your faith, for sharing the gospel, don't be surprised. Jesus has already told us that that's going to happen. So Paul shows us the promise of Jesus, and he shows them the person of Jesus. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children. By raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We have a Nintendo Switch in our household. Um, My wife and I grew up on video games. We, you know, we play Mario. We're we're Mario fans. My six-year-old is a huge Mario fan. Loves Mario. And there are many nights where Jaden wants to play Daddy. With Mario. And if I tell him in the afternoon or even that morning that the kid, like your children, if you promise them something, you better, you better follow through with it. They remember. My six-year-old who doesn't remember if he ate 15 minutes ago will remember that I told him 15 hours ago that we'll play Mario. Fathers, we are to keep our promises, right? 
We're to keep our promises to our family. We're to keep our promises to our wives. We have, we've made vows. Those are promises upon promises. We're to be faithful. You see, here's the thing. We can be faithful because God has been faithful to us. God is a God who keeps his promises. This is a promise that was made to the fathers. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a covenant relationship that God has made with the people of Israel. That the promised seed of Abraham will come through. Jesus will come. See the promise of God for the joy of all peoples. Verse 32, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 2, this is where, where, where it's a royal psalm. But it's about Christ. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That doesn't mean today you've been created. That doesn't mean today you have you have become the son of God. This means that today it's become evident that you are the son of God. I have begotten you. It is now evident that you are who you say you are. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Christ who died and was buried saw no corruption, no decay. When he was risen, he was risen in the same way than when he died. Truly God and truly man. Risen. Saw no corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. What Paul is saying is is this this scripture is not talking about David. This scripture is talking about Jesus. Jesus is who he says he is. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. And church, if we cannot believe that, If we cannot believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if we cannot believe that God has raised him from the dead, we can't be saved. Because Romans tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If we do not believe in a bodily resurrection, if we do not believe that Christ has risen from the grave, we cannot be saved. The world tells us different. So we see the promise of Jesus. We see the person of Jesus. Lastly, we see the provision of Jesus. Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. I wish I would have started with this one because I'm running out of time. Nobody look at your watches. But here's the thing. When we look at the law, the biblical law, the law does not save us. Adhering to the law does not save us. It can't. Because you cannot abide by it. 
You were born sinful, for one, so you're already deserving of hell by the time you were conceived. And then on top of that, you cannot obey to the point where you obey every single law. And James tells us that if you break one commandment, you are guilty of breaking all the commandments. So, have you ever stolen anything? Some of you, maybe, maybe not. Have you ever murdered anybody? Some of you, maybe, maybe not. I'm glad some of y'all caught that. Have you ever lied? Most of you are lying right now. You want to know why? Because Jesus opens up the law to us. If you ever had hatred in your heart, you've murdered them in your heart. If you ever looked at a woman lustfully, just looked at her for a second and had those thoughts, you've committed adultery. You who have broken one commandment are guilty of breaking all the commandments. And the church, here's the, here's the deal. You're deserving of hell. You are deserving of hell. We all in this room deserve the judgment of God. Hear me say this. You do not go to hell just because you reject Christ. You go to hell because of your sin. Rejecting Christ is sin, but you go to hell because of your sin. So everybody on this planet needs to hear the gospel. Because even if you die without hearing the gospel, you go to hell. That's why we're called to go. Paul is showing the Jews here the provision of Jesus, that because he has died and risen again, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Because this man has died on the cross, he has paid the penalty for your sin. He stood in your place. If you've given your life to Christ, he took your spot on the cross. So if you want to be saved... Turn to the one who sent his son to die for you. Believe on Jesus. That he is who he says he is. And when we do. Verse 39. By him everyone who believes is freed. From everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. We're freed from that, what does that mean? When God the Father looks on us after we've put our faith and trust in Christ, He sees us as justified. You no longer need to pay the penalty for your sin because my Son has paid it for you. You are now just. Paul tells them, that if they do not put their faith and trust in Christ, verse 40, beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Is God doing a work within our day? Absolutely. He's doing a work within every day of our lives. But this scripture is talking about the work that Christ is accomplishing on the cross for our 
sin. And I love it. Verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Man, if we had people who were that hungry for the word of God. But the thing is, is people don't want to be told that they're going to hell. People don't want to be told that they're deserving of it. People want to be told it's going to be okay. People just want to be told that God loves you. Does God love you? Absolutely. God so loved the world. But understand this. The first John tells us that if the love of God, does, that if you do not abide in God, God does not abide in you. I can, I can love you. But I'm not going to love you the same way I love my wife. The same way I love my kids. God can love you, but he's not going to love you the same way that he loves his children. Church, we do not need to be astounded and perish. We do not need to be the ones who scoff at this, who ridicule it, who reject it. We don't need to be that people. We need to be the people who embrace it. This is grace. This is grace. I want to jump down because I'm running out of time. Verse 45, after the next Sabbath when the whole city gathers, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. They reviled him. They contradicted what was spoken by him. What does that mean? That they rejected the word of God. They rejected it. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. This is Paul and Barnabas' routine to go and preach to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But what does this mean for us? Church, eventually time runs out. Eventually, we're not going to have another opportunity to hear the gospel. You can't wait. Paul has turned from the Jews and has turned to the Gentiles in this area. Because the Jews have rejected it. And you can keep rejecting the gospel and keep rejecting the gospel and keep rejecting the, the, the gospel one day. One day. It'll be too late. So they turned to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's a big verse. I kind of want to do a sermon just on that verse. Because what we see is, those who were saved were appointed to eternal life. They were called. They were chosen. They were drawn. John tells us that you cannot come to me. Jesus says this in John. You cannot come to me unless the Father who sent me draws you. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's because God has done a transforming work in your heart. And he has appointed you to eternal life. God works in our salvation. 
Jonathan Edwards says that the only thing that I have brought to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary. God saves. God chooses. God draws. God redeems. Ephesians 1 Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons, for the purpose of God and to the praise of his glorious grace. How are you saved? Because God has reached down and done a work in your life. Just as he chose the fathers in in Acts 13, at the beginning of that passage, just as he chose the fathers, he has chosen you. Church, he has chosen you to be holy and blameless. And what does that mean for us? It means we have a mission. What is that mission? To tell the world about Jesus so that they may come to the saving knowledge of who he is. True joy is found in receiving Christ as Lord, even after they're being persecuted. Man, I really wanted to go into this one. Because like the Jews, they run to the women. It's like, hey, y'all need to like speak up and call some problems. The Bible. (laughs) And the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. So the women and then the men, because I think the women were making problems with the men and the men were not liking it. And they're all like, look, Paul and Barnabas, we're going to persecute you. Drove them out of their district. They shook the dust off their feet. Meaning they're not going to have anything to do with this city. Meaning that their rejection is their fault, not not ours. And what happens? Verse 52, even after they're persecuted, after they're probably spit on and ridiculed, they know Jesus. The gospel has changed their lives. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That no matter what comes their way, no matter what suffering... They have a mission because the promise of God, the promise that God has brought joy into their life through the work of Christ is what gives them joy, is what empowers them to keep preaching, is what helps them to keep going. That is what we need, church. We need to be reminded that true joy is found in receiving Christ as Lord. If we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, nothing Nothing can take that joy from us. People are going to hate you, but Christ loves me. People are going to arrest you, but I'm freed from sin and bondage and guilt. They're going to kill you, but my life is in Christ. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. I don't care what, the, what this world brings our way. I don't care what our government will bring our way one day. All I care about is that we have a message to proclaim, and that message is that we have received joy by Christ. Let me tell you about it so that you can receive it too. May we have that heart. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you have never Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've never believed on him, if you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you're concerned about your eternity, 
Let's talk. Let's talk. Because just like the Jews here, eventually time's going to run out. And that message of the gospel may never come again. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning as we seek true joy from you, from your work, from your promise, from the promises that you made through the work of your son. God, I pray that you would help us to be bold and obedient and faithful to your word. Help us to trust in the promise of Jesus, to believe in the person of Jesus, and to rely on the provision of Jesus. And help that be our message to a lost and dying world. That before the foundations of the world, God promised a Savior. And through the Old Testament, we see that Christ has come. And that because Christ is who he said he is and that he's truly God and truly man and that he died for our sins, we can have the provision of eternal life. We can be empowered by your grace, not only to be saved from damnation, but to also live a life in this world that is set apart for you. So God, help us. Help us to live on mission. Help us to live set apart. Help us to live in joy, true joy for who you are. God, you are so good to us. We don't deserve the very air we breathe. So God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who has never given their life to you, grab their hearts. Show them who you truly are. Open up their eyes to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of their sin, to the truth of your righteousness. And save them. Help us. We ask this in your son's name we pray. Amen.